Hello. Welcome to my podcast on where we taught where we're gonna listen to Snarled. The episode on YouTube. You're gonna listen to this story and fully understand a few things. The episode on Snarled is called Haunted by War Criminals Dash Scary Story Time Slash Slash Something Scary Something Scary Snarled. Now let's listen. Beans. Hey, I'm Rakia. Wanna hear some scary? Take only what you need. Ever go rooting around an abandoned place searching for treasure? The joys of lost riches can be intoxicating. Just be wary of curses. In this next story, inspired by a submission from Nathan, we learn that every expedition comes with its fair share of deadly wolves. In a city by the sea in South America, there was a grand white house atop a hill, and below it, a small town was nestled in its shadow. One evening, two teens decided to break into it. Did you know this place was owned by rich war criminals after World War II? Galen said to his best friend, Neil. After exploring several abandoned places, they decided to scavenge for things they could fix up and sell online. Leo's family had recently fallen into hard times, and they hoped to bring in a little money by selling the old things they'd find. Still, the house gave Leo a strange feeling. Isn't it haunted? Didn't all the bad people who lived here die mysteriously? Galen was certain this house was their big score. So, it's filled with riches and treasures they brought with them and left behind. I bet we'll find something great. Pulling the chains off the tall, rusty gate, the boys realized it was unlocked. With a loud creak, the gate swung open. Leo gave a big sigh and shifted in his old shoes. They were falling apart at the soles. He felt like someone was watching him on the doorstep. But Galen pushed him forward. Come on, don't be afraid, he said as he turned the knob on the door. And with a click, it opened. Leo followed. I can't be late. My mom asked me to grab firewood on my way home. Just then, he heard steps from the staircase and looked up to see a dark figure. It was shaped like a tall military soldier. It stared at him with bright eyes. In a ghostly voice, it whispered, Take only what you need. Leo squinted his eyes. The soldier's face was disfigured. Then the ghost disappeared. Leo shook his head, thinking he must have imagined it. He ran ahead to catch up with his friend, past the peeling wallpaper of the halls, stained suspiciously by rotting holes. Galen didn't seem to notice. Leo followed him into a drawing room that looked untouched by time. Galen was in a daze, fixated on the objects in the office. On the fireplace mantel, he saw a shining silver watch beside a row of jewels and signet rings. We're gonna be rich, Galen said. 
Leo looked around. Someone definitely lives here. We should go. And that's when he saw a pair of new shoes perched on a box. They were old, like something out of the 1940s, but yet new. He cautiously approached them. They're my size. He held them up. A creaking sound came from the doorway. Leo spun around and caught the ghostly apparition of a woman wrapped in wilting scarves. Her eyes hollowed out. Heed my warning. Take only what you need. Leo opened his mouth to scream, but then the ghost was gone. He turned to Galen, who was enraptured by the jewelry. Something was off about this place. They should leave, he thought. Leo noticed a pile of wool blankets, like the ones his mother wanted. Leo paused. Wait, I think I should take these instead. They keep my family warm. Galen had a realization. If we took all this jewelry, we'd have so much more to buy all the things we need and could ever want. He grabbed the watch and piled up the jewels. Leo gasped, wait, don't, he shouted at his friend. And then a necklace chain wrapped around Galen's neck and an unseen force began to strangle him. Leo jumped to help Galen, but something began to pull him back. The walls began to shake and bloody words appeared over them. Take only what you need. Suddenly, ghostly hands appeared out of the chimney and clutched Galen. Leo couldn't hold on to him for long. No, he screamed as his friend's body was dragged into the walls of the house. A voice boomed. Take only what you need. Leo grabbed the blankets and made a run for it through the shaking hallways. The door slammed behind him on the way out. He looked back, and in the window above him, he saw the soldier, the woman, and Galen looking down at him. The house had allowed Leo to take what he needed but it would always take the soul it wanted. Thank you to all of our patrons. If you'd like to join our VIP program, visit patreon.com slash snarl. Okay. That was a nice tale. Let's watch another one by Snarled. They also do have a podcast uh, that will be listening to the full video, so you guys can also go and tune into their podcast. This video is called, well, I'm going to look for one right now. The Korean Bathroom Ghost. Hey, I'm like... Meth? Method of... Eh. Chiyu Sin Toilet Goddess of Korea Dash Scary Storytime Slash Slash Something Scary Snarled. We'll be listening to the full videos so you guys can also tune into our podcast. If they have anything that's due to an ad, I will be skipping through it. Akia, want to hear something scary? <laughs> alongside a supernatural one. The two worlds are more intertwined than we'd like to admit. Be warned, but also be comforted by the fact that experiencing the dark side of the supernatural is all just a matter of timing. Two 12-year-old girls from South Korea, Mi and Jin, have just arrived at camp for the summer. Both 
wife had never been before, although me frequently camped with her family. The first day was exciting, getting to know their fellow campers and doing outdoor activities. At the end of the day, the camp quickly quieted down during the night, but Jen couldn't sleep. She wanted to explore more of the campgrounds at night. She woke up me and fibbed that she needed someone to go to the bathroom with her. Jen knew if she told me her true intentions that she would never go. Me always followed the rules, while Jen would question why there were rules in the first place. Once they arrived at the small building holding the bathrooms, Jen figured she might as well go while she figured out how to get me to go exploring. Me, eager to get back to bed, told her, I'll stay out here and wait for you. As soon as Jen entered the bathroom, she felt something was off. It was freezing in there. She flipped the light switch on, one dimly lit bulb flickered off just barely enough to make out the bathroom stalls directly in front of her. Shivering, suddenly having to go to the bathroom more than ever, she started moving towards the stalls. Reaching out her hand to the first stall, she felt something like strands of hair whip across her face. Stunned, she jumped back. In the corner of her eye, something moved off to the right of her. Spinning towards it, a woman with long black hair covering her face stood in the corner, silent, waiting. Jen abruptly turned around and sped out the door. Grabbing me, she pushed her towards the path back to their cabin. All thoughts of exploration forgotten, Jen couldn't have seen what she just saw. It must have been her imagination getting the best of her. Are you okay? Me chuckled. I thought for sure you got me out here so you could go exploring. Jen stammered. I thought I saw something, someone. A camper, maybe? She, it kind of looked like something from a horror movie. I don't know. Me stopped dead in her tracks, looking behind Jen at the bathroom door. Wait, she looked very concerned. What's the date? Jen stopped, staring at me, wondering what was going on. Me continued worriedly. It's the Chakuchin. On dates with a six in it, the only way to safely use a bathroom at night is to cough three times before entering and to carry food as tribute. Otherwise, the Chaukuchin could find you. The good news is that there is only one of her, and she is only in one bathroom at a time. If she is here, you must appease her. Jen blinked, staring at me, waiting for her to say she was joking. Appease her? Yes, you must appease her, or she will follow you home. Having said that, me pulled a dry rice ball from her pocket and ran back toward the outhouse, placing it at the doorway. The two girls ran back to their cabin. By the time Jen had tucked herself back into her bunk, she remembered how weird Me could be at times with her superstitions. And also, she was more convinced than ever it had to just have been another camper using the bathroom. Around midnight, Jen woke up having to go so badly that she didn't even think to wake up Me as she dashed out of bed and ran to the bathroom building. When she got to the bathroom door, fear struck her and stopped her dead in her tracks. I could just go outside, I guess, she thought as she swung her flashlight back out towards the dark, dark woods surrounding and encroaching upon the bathroom building. Or not, Jen quickly thought to herself. Look, the rice ball is still there, so the Chaukuchin is appeased. And besides, that's all stupid anyway. I've been using bathrooms all my life. I'll be quick. After Jen stepped inside, she then remembered what she had forgotten to do to cough three times. Jen felt thick strands of hair quickly coil around her neck like a snake. Confused, she reached for the hair to pull it away, but it tightened. 
trapping her, strangling her so she couldn't make a sound. Lifted into the air by her neck, the pressure increasing around it, the long strands surrounded Jen, wrapping her in a deadly embrace. The Chukuchen sat on the ceiling. It was the woman-like figure that Jen had seen before. Lifting her new prey up into her arms, the goddess pushed its face against hers, breathing in the shallow breaths coming out of Jen's body. I would have followed you home, but I was too hungry. So this time, it will only be you. At that, the Chakuchin moved towards the toilet, which transformed into a bottomless pit. The goddess hurriedly dragged Jen's hair-wrapped body down into the pit with her. She was in such a hurry that the stall changed back into a toilet before her entire body came through, cutting off Jen's left arm, leaving the chopped limb in the stall for the other campers to find the next morning. Want more Something Scary? You can hear more stories over on the Something Scary podcast. Available for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The links are in the description below. Thank you to all of our patrons. While we do run a limited amount of ads, the show would not be possible without your support. (laughs) Okay, now we're going to watch another video and then I'm going to tell you guys a nice scary story that happened to me. This video is called, Don't Stop the Car, Bright Like Knives Highway, Scary Story, Slash Something Scary, Slash Snarled. If you're looking for something fun to do with some extra... Here we go. take you on a journey through the highway. Other songs can invite something sinister out to cross your path. The smile, a smile bright like knives in the dark. This is based on a true story. My friend Denny and I had just finished 12 straight hours of karaoke at three different venues across Los Angeles. I felt like I'd run a kind of spiritual marathon. That's when my stomach rumbled and I recommended grabbing some food. Denny coolly agreed as he fiddled with his phone, but I could see exhaustion creeping across his face. I drove on towards the discount diner, idly taking notice of the couple of turns the GPS asked me to take. When I looked up, I was surprised when I'd found myself on a stretch of road wholly unfamiliar to me. The long stretch was four lanes wide and dotted by street lamps on the passenger side every half block or so. In the moonless night, the lights made the road look like a hallway of shadow, punctuated by cones of orange-yellow light. With each street lamp passed, I grew increasingly uneasy about being the only car on that sparsely lit stretch of road. No headlights ahead or behind, and if it wasn't for Denny sitting next to me, I might have actually been scared. But that was before I saw it. Coming up in the distance, less than a mile away, I noticed the black outline of a person shuffling slowly across the road. The shape moved along the dark space between two street lamps, but I could see their silhouette shambling. I narrowed my eyes and turned to attention, observing the shape's slow walk, realizing it looked more and more erratic. 
The deep shadow it was in made it hard to tell much, but the limbs, they didn't move right. Its arms waved in slow arcs, up then down, first one, then the other. Its legs didn't step one after another, more like joining together, then separating apart. A slow chill crept up the back of my neck and spread across my shoulders in icy waves. Both hands tightened the wheel, trying to push back the goose flesh spreading down my arms. Then I dropped my speed to a near crawl without realizing. What's up? Denny said. I need to slow down or else I might hit this dude on the road, I said. Denny finally looked at the road and set up. What do you mean? Wait, who's that and what's he doing? As the car lights washed up on the figure's feet, I could see normal sneakers, but they were pointed away from us. Then I could see they were doing a kind of sideways crab walk, legs joining together before taking another step and long, exaggerated arcs. But if this person could sense a car approaching from either the headlights coming towards it or the approaching sound of the engine, they gave no notice. The figure kept its steady shuffle all while facing away from us. The car's lights rose to the shape's torso as it continued to flail its arms with each step, up and down like languid snakes. Unable to take my eyes off the shape now, the car lights fully put it into view. Who the hell is this person? Denny's voice dropped to a whisper. It was then, as if it heard us talking, the shape raised up both its arms, forming a halo around its upper body, and in one fluid turn, picked up its right leg and swung around in mechanical pirouette, like a jewelry box ballerina. With this motion, it turned to face us. My arms locked, and my hands gripped as if to choke the wheel. I felt myself veering into the next lane, trying to give it a wide berth. And for only a second, the car's headlight glow had made its face visible in spite of the night. Teeth. It's all teeth. My mind reeled. Razor-thin lips parted and turned up at the corners to show a perfect set of teeth locked into a menacing smile. Each tooth, incisor to canine, broke through the night and somehow shone bright, reflecting the light like knives against the dark. And though I was transfixed by this impossibly big smile, my mind scanned the grin for something that would reveal the figure's intentions. As we passed it on the right, I struggled with what else I saw. Above the all-too-big grin, past a nondescript nose to lock on its eyes. In place of normal eyes, twin black pools stared back at mine, as if each pupil had overflowed, spreading its darkness to the corners of its eyelids, threatening to spill even beyond that. They shimmered with the orange light of the street lamps. I had stopped completely. When had I put my foot down on the brake? When had I turned off the car, for that matter? I could only stare at my hands, also clenched fists, strangling the wheel. And as if underwater, I heard muffled cries next to me. Was Denny yelling at me? Unlock door is what I thought I heard, but it was dampened, as if shouted from inside a giant fish tank. My ears followed the sound of a softly rapping knuckle against the driver's side window. And as I looked up to my left, I saw the final street lamp's light. And if somehow darkness could glow, 
That's exactly what the shape's eyes did. The dark pools I had dared to look into hovered on the other side of the glass and they expanded, overflowing beyond the natural shapes of eyes, almost gulping the final light. And the last thing I remember was teeth, perfect teeth and a giant humorless smile. A police siren scream startled me awake. Red and blue flashing lights shone bright in the breaking dawn. Regaining consciousness, I felt as if I'd been dragged out of a lake. But then I realized it was my own sweat that had drenched my clothes. I was still on the road, still in the car. That's when I looked over to the passenger side. The door was nearly pulled off its hinge. Its metal frame slightly warped and pulled back as if peeled. Broken glass sparkled where Denny had sat, but the chair was empty. In its place, jagged glass glinted like cheap diamonds and pooled between the broken pieces in the seat and on the floor mat was caked blood. It collected in small crimson puddles with an ominous smear trailing out of the car onto the road, then disappearing entirely nearly feet away. I never saw Denny again, not as he was at least. No, but there have been a couple of nights since Times when the guards had to force their way into my cell at an ungodly hour and beat me unconscious just to get my screaming to stop that I think I've seen Denny. Through the barred window of my cell, at the edge of the sparse prison courtyard below, engulfed by the night. Yes, I think I've seen Denny, shambling oddly and frozen on his face as a giant, perfect smile. Come check out Digital Me and the Snarled Clubhouse on Poppies. It's totally Okay. You guys ready to hear my story? Uh, I know you are. I was seven years old. I was living in a two-family house. But we rented out both apartments so it became a one family house I've been living there ever since I was around five or six nothing out of the ordinary happened until I was seven for a month straight I would be hearing like somebody walking one step at a time upstairs every night for a month and to mind you, we had 17 stairs. So, it sounded like it repeatedly until there was only 17 days left. Repeatedly only go up one stair and then back down. I would hear this every night before I go to sleep. One night, I fell asleep. It was, I think, June 30th. 12 o'clock in the morning. I woke, I woke up thirsty. I'm thinking I'm just going to go downstairs and go get a cup of water. 
and then go back upstairs and go to sleep. Now, all I hear is somebody walking up my stairs. Me being me, I thought, oh, it's dad coming upstairs to check on me. And Logan, my brother. So, then we, I, I was just sitting in my bed, and I just stopped hearing the footsteps. I don't hear the door open, no nothing. So, I, I just say, Dad, is that you? Hello? No answer. So I'm like, oh, it's my dad trying to scare me. We'll see who gets the last lap on this one. So, I go to open up the door of thinking, what am I going to say? I feel, I feel like wind blowing on my wrist. And I open the door. All I see is a woman. Like, she worked in a hospital. Like a nurse type. And I still remember to this day what I called her. When I told my parents what I saw. A woman in white. So, me, I'm seven, I'm seven years old. I don't think much of it at the time. So I just, I say hi, and I say my name. No response. Okay. I started feeling uneasy, like I should go back to my room. I go, I go to my room, door still open. And I just, I sit in my bed. And I fall back to sleep. And my dad knows me and my brother always shut that door because that was our safety, my dad always said. Because in case someone broke in the house and anything happened to me, your mother, or sister, you and your brother can lock the door up there and you guys would be safe. My dad comes upstairs to come wake us up. He sees the doors wide open. So he comes upstairs and closes the door, wakes wakes my brother up. He's like, did you guys close that door last night? 
And my brother said, yes, we did. Why? My dad said, well, it was wide open when I came up here. Then my dad wakes me up and he said, did you open that door? I said, yeah, because I thought you were coming upstairs to come scare me and Logan. He was like, what time did you wake up? I said, 12. He said, okay. Well, what happened? I said, I thought I heard you walking up the stairs. And I thought, you, oh, you were coming up here to come scare me and Logan. My dad was like, why would I be awake at 12? And why would I come up here and scare you guys at that particular time in the morning? I was like, Dad, I know it wasn't you. My dad, my dad looked at me weird. I said, "There was a late, there was a lady standing at standing at the door." Dad said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "There was a lady in white standing at the door, looking at me." My dad froze up and walked away with my older brother. And my older brother still refuses to tell me what my dad said to him. Like now, thinking about, thinking about it now, it was one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. My brother and my dad, they were standing in one of the rooms across from me. And I, I tried to go downstairs because you know, I hear my mom talking on the phone. And I'm like, I'm going to go talk to my mom. I'm going to go down there. Because I'm seven years old. It's it, literally... You can push your parents off at seven years old and do it easily. So I say I I will like I start to go walk down the stairs. I f I just feel a hand on my back. I turn my head just a little bit to see if that was my dad coming downstairs with me. I don't see nothing, but I'm still feeling this hand on my back. Next thing I know, I'm falling down the stairs. And I get to the flight to where you have to turn to get to the door. I, I stand up, and then all I feel is like I get kicked down the stairs. I hit my head on one of the shoe racks and I'm laying there on my head and wide open. And 
blood coming down my face. And I'm just laying there. And my dad hears the commotion and he runs and just sees me laying there on the bottom, like on the bottom, on the floor and all that. And my dad. Can you hear me? I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say my real name in this. But I'll say my nickname. Zero, can you hear me? Zero. Zero. Wake up. Come on, wake up. As he's shaking me on the chest. And then when I reached the flight to go up, up the stairs, I got kicked right in the side. And the doctors even told my parents that I had a massive bruise right on my side. And they even showed them. My dad's like, we don't abuse our kids. Like, we don't even know what the hell happened. And then... My dad, and then my dad... Is like... Just, just standing there in complete shock. And my mom is like... And my, my, my dad's face changes to like... Oh, shit. And my, my, my mom's like, Mike, you okay? And I'd like, can you talk out in the hallway? And then I, I hear my dad talking to my mom. And he's like, you explained a woman that I seen in my childhood. And I'm like, okay. That lady, that lady was a very young lady who perished. 
I didn't, I don't remember the rest. But now I'm of the age of 14 years old. I have a five-year-old niece and I haven't seen the woman since a month ago. My five-year-old niece was spending the night down here, down in my apartment. And sadly, my dad passed away November 21st of 2019. So I, I wake up and I'm, it's May, no, not May. Uh, I forgot what the month was before May. You know, it was the 28th. No, no, not the 28th. It's today. And it's fine. I think it was the second. And I wake up and I hear my niece screaming to the top of her lungs. I open my door and it's... And then, like, like in a split second, it changes. My niece is in the basement screaming. What the hell's going on? So I open my, I, I literally open my back door. Like I fucking, I pull the bitch open. Like I turn the doorknob and I pull it open. And I dart down the stairs, I'm looking for my niece, I'm screaming, Iris, Iris, where are you, Iris, Iris, come to Uncle KK, Iris, come here, where are you, honey, are you okay, I get to my dad's room, and like, that's where the source of the screaming is, I open the door, second I open it, screaming's coming from my apartment, I run up the stairs, my back door still open. Slams right in my face. I open my back door again. I see something out of the corner of my eye walk in the bathroom. I dart over to the bathroom where my niece is. And there's this white figure bending over like arms outstretched trying to get my niece and my niece sees me and she runs behind me and grabs my leg and it's holding on to me saying uncle kk don't let her get me uncle kk don't let her get me i'm like iris i'm not gonna let no one hurt you honey The white figure stands up and turns around. And I see her face. And she looks at me. And it's the same lady I seen when I was seven years old. And she smiles. I'm standing right there looking at her. Dead in her eyes. And I'm like, Iris, 
go to Mima, who was my mom and who was your grandmother, which is what my niece calls my mom, Mima. So my niece runs over, shaking my mom. is like, Mima, Mima, wake up, wake up. My mom, my mom wakes up and she's like, what, Iris? Uncle Kiki's in trouble. And my mom's like, what? She's like, come to the bathroom. Uncle Kiki's in trouble. My mom stands up, puts her glasses on. Turns, turns the living room light on. And sees me standing at the bathroom. My mom's like, zero. What are you doing up? I'm like, ma, come here. She like, she walks over me and sees the lady as well. My mom has no words. Me, I'm like, I gotta defend my niece. I gotta make sure that this lady does not come after my niece. <sighs> so... I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm telling this lady, you cannot, you cannot come near my niece, you cannot step foot near my niece, you cannot even think or see my niece. The only person in this household who you can even come near, put your hands on harm, is me. The lady walks, starts walking towards me. I'm backing up because I'm like, oh, shit, I just fucked up. She walks in my bedroom where I'm on FaceTime with one of my friends. And my friend sees this lady walk in my room and walked towards where? Now, I... I cannot sleep on that side of the bed to where she was standing. So I walk in my room. I look at her. I'm like, all right, we're going to do the brokers. We're either going to do this one the easy way or the hard way. She stopped smiling. I'm like, smile for the easy way. Keep that or keep that same ugly frown on your goddamn face for the hard way. She kept the she kept the frown. I'm like, listen, bitch. You gotta stay the fuck away from my niece. I don't know what the fuck I did to you to make you want to push me down them stairs and like. Kick me on my damn side. Which I did absolutely nothing to you. Or towards you. I was kind. And nice towards you. And you wanted to do that shit to me. You are pitiful. You are a scum. You do not deserve to walk. On this earth. 
you deserve to be in hell. Where I guess you originated from. And you can go back to where the fuck you originated from. Because I do not want you here. You disgusting, dirty bitch. She now looked to the side to where my friend was trying to calm me down. And pointed at her. And I will not forget the words she said to me. Hang up the phone. And I said, you do not tell me what to do. I am more powerful than you are. I am the one who commands you. I am the one that is looking dead into your eyes right now. And is commanding you to do your worst. She starts walking towards me and gets up in my face. I said, and I tell her, do it, bitch. I get pushed up against my closet. I start sliding up my closet as she's looking at me. And my mom's just standing there in my doorway watching this. Scared out of her mind. And I'm like, is that all you got? You think you scare me? Honey, I did not run when you started walking up and got in my goddamn face. This is just a goddamn throw a thrill ride, you dumb bitch. I drop to the floor. I stand up. My mom is like, I command you to leave. The woman, in light, the woman in white looks at my mom and says, He commands. I said, I command you to look at me, you dumb bitch. She looked at me. Turned her head and everything and started looking at me. Eyes wide. With a smile. And I snickered to her. I command you to leave me and my family alone only if I command you to come back. She frowned, looking all sad, and I'm like, leave now. She walks into the living room, and that's the last I've seen of her since. (sighs) Okay, you guys gotta give me one... One itty bitty second. I am so sorry. Okay, so let's get into some more episodes of Snarled. We're gonna get into one the Lady of the White of the White 
rock lake. She drags you under. Hey, I'm Marquia. Wanna hear something scary? The Lady of White Rock Lake. In the waters of the South, there are urban legends that abound of ghostly women and bodies that are never found, like in this poem inspired by Christiana. It was a hot Dallas night when two lovers snuck out to set sail out of sight. See, their parents didn't approve, so they had to escape. This is the tale of the Lady of White Rock Lake. Racing against the dawning sun, they both prayed for luck against fate and pushed a boat into the water past the muck of White Rock Lake. See, they knew the danger, but it was the only way out. No matter the disappearances that grew stranger, getting to the roundabout road on the other shore and past the fabled Lady of White Rock Lake. We're going to do whatever it takes. Together, we'll go on the run. Running out of time, then engine stalled before beginning to hum, and she smiled as they took sail over White Rock Lake. The dark and muddy waters of White Rock Lake, where you could see the reflection of the stones, and if you looked closely among the sticks, were bones of other lovers who couldn't escape the wrath and hate of the Lady of White Rock Lake. Foolish were the lovers to ignore the lore, unsuspecting of what destiny had in store. Dark water seeped beneath their feet, a voice creeped around them from a figure that came from the deep. You are somebody's ungrateful children. Skin decayed and rotten, in a ripped dress, this creature, a vengeful spirit of town, a betrayed mother, drowned daughter, and their lover. She was the Lady of White Rock Lake, and she was there to punish anyone who dared escape. The creature stabbed the lover through his heart. Foolish girl, this is your fate. As the boat sank, the lady wrapped the girl in chains and said, You're coming with me to the bottom of White Rock Lake. And they were never found. And through the country towns, it was said they were drowned by none other than the Lady of White Rock Lake. Come check out Digital Me in the Snarled Clubhouse. We're gonna, now we're going to watch another one by Snarled. Curse of Briny Stone, Irish Folk Scary Storytime. Dash dash snarled kiss of the I'm just gonna let it say. Hey, I'm Marquia. Wanna hear something scary? The curse of the Blarney Stone. In Ireland, locals tell the tale of the lucky Blarney Stone. It's set within a castle wall that you can kiss for luck. But what happens if you disrupt a cherished tradition? On the first warm spring day after a long, brutal winter, Siobhan asked her friend Arryn if he would like to join her on her visit to the legendary Blarney Castle. On their drive to the castle, Siobhan couldn't contain her excitement to see the Blarney Stone in person. Remind me again what the stone does? Asked Arryn. Siobhan explained that the legend says that anyone who kisses the stone will receive the gift of gab, basically eternal charm. 
You'll be able to sweet talk your way out of anything. Baron chuckled a little confused. Siobhan seemed really excited for what basically sounded like they were headed to some kind of tourist trap. Although, he thought, that would be an amazing thing to have if it was true. Siobhan went on to explain how the stone got its magical powers. The builder of the castle, Cormac Ladder McCarthy, needed help getting out of a sticky situation. So he called upon the goddess Cleona to help him. She told him to kiss the first large boulder that he saw. With her blessing, he did it and was able to charm his way out of any problem. After that, he set the stone into the power pit of Blarney Castle. Finally, they had reached their destination. They walked across a long, narrow rope bridge to access the giant castle. But instead of following the printed signs to the popular Blarney Stone, Siobhan ducked into a roped-off area and stealthily headed off in the opposite direction. Aaron, wary but very curious, followed her lead. Finally, in a different part of the castle, Siobhan stopped. In front of them, set within the castle pyramid, was a very large and noticeably darker boulder jutting from the wall. There was an opening about two feet in front of it. It hung over the side of the castle from the roof, and the fall looked to be hundreds of feet. Standing there, both Aurin and Siobhan could feel a type of energy emanating off of the angular rock. Aurin's eyes widened with fear. How did you know about this? Eyes gleaming, Siobhan explained. During the winter, I did a lot of digging to find out where the real Blarney Stone was. The other stone is just for show, for Taurus, but the legend is real. Quick, grab my ankles, hold me steady. She lay down on her back with her head hanging over the opening. Aurin gripped tightly as she scooted her body forward until her upper body dangled above the ground far below. Angling her hands against the wall for support, grunting, she hefted herself forwards and upwards, finally brushing the stone with a kiss. Aaron hurriedly dragged her back in and on his hands and knees looked down, down at the ground far, far below. Extreme panic set in. He'd never been this high before. His vision started to blacken along the edges, blurry and nauseous as he felt himself tipping forward toward the edge. Aaron, pay attention to me, Siobhan asserted and compelled Aaron. Immediately, he snapped out of it, angling to look at Siobhan with razor focus. You're all right, and he suddenly was. Back away from the edge, and he did. Aaron stood there amazed at Siobhan as she slowly grinned with self-satisfaction and turned to leave. Eyeing the boulder, Aaron made a sudden decision. If kissing the stone did that, taking part of it with us would be even better. Making sure Siobhan was not looking, he reached out, quickly yanking a looser piece from the stone, put it in his pocket, and jogged after her to catch up. As they both rushed along their way out of the castle, Siobhan far in the lead. Objects started falling over randomly around Aaron. A painting a tapestry. Then there was the crash of a suit of armor. As he ran, he heard a voice repeating louder and louder. Return the stone! Return the stone! At the castle entrance, Siobhan is stopped, waiting for Otter. Stepping on the bridge, he grabbed her to urge her to run. He off the grounds to outrun the voice now, thundering between his ears. Several feet out, the bridge started to slowly unravel. Siobhan screamed as the bridge gave, loosening below them and snapping in two. Their screams echoed as they fell. Something yanked hard on his foot, and Otter found himself hung upside down, leg hooked on a part of the bridge, dangling above a terrified Siobhan. She gripped part of the fallen bridge, legs dangling. 
The stone then tumbled out of Aaron's pocket, hitting Siobhan in the face, causing her to loosen her grip. Aaron grabbed her as she steadied herself back on the piece of wood. Stunned, Siobhan blinked. Was that a piece of the stone? Aaron nodded. You unleashed the curse of the Blarney Stone. It is never to be removed. Then the wood Siobhan was holding snapped. Wide-eyed, Aaron watched as she fell into the water below, being dragged by some force far, far below its surface. Aaron screamed out for her. His mourning would be brief as a piece of wood that his foot was caught on snapped, and he plummeted down, head first, never to be seen again. As soon as his body disappeared into the water, the stone magically emerged out of the water and floated back up to the wall. No bodies were found. The bridge was repaired. An unfortunate accident, officials said. Savvy locals knew better, though. Plus the curse of the Blarney Stone, claiming more victims. Come check out Digital Me and... All right, we're going to watch another one by Snarled. Let's see if I can find one. The Gin of the Lake, Benjai. Scary story, scary story time, something scary. Dash Snarled. Come to my lake. Did you know that these video episodes tell just one of the fan-submitted stories that we adapt for our podcast each week? The ch- Fishing is a pastoral pastime enjoyed by many people all around the world. However, you should still be careful which lake you decide to cast your net in. In some places, such as Bangladesh, dangerous jinn guard the water, like in this next story, inspired by a submission from an anonymous viewer. It's best to wait when the tide lowers on the water of a lake. That's when fish are easier to spot on the surface. The water becomes muddy, scattered holes of air, and then you strike. Rahul, my aunt's fishing otter, looked at me curiously when I splashed him. My aunt shouted at me to get away from the edge of the lake on the way to her home. After graduation, I'd been sent by my parents to visit her in Bangladesh. The lake was sacred, and no one in the neighborhood was allowed near it. Didn't matter if it was closer, everyone had to work together and trek to another lake for traditional community fishing. Rahul's whiskers suddenly perked up, and he looked across the water. In the distance, two black eyes were fixed right on me. My aunt picked up my net. We mustn't anger the jinn. Confused, I asked her what she meant. Carrying Rahul, she led us home, warning me about the fickle entities known as jinns. Some say they're angels, and others think they're demons. The next day, after unsuccessfully fishing with the others, I didn't want to return to my aunt's empty-handed. One of the fishermen I accompanied, Agus, encouraged me to ignore my aunt's advice. In the real world, you do whatever it takes to put food on the table, he said. We agreed to meet late at night by the water of the sacred lake. Later, as Rahul and I waited for him, we saw the lake teeming with life. Rahul was hesitant to fish and curled up to rest, but without his help, I quickly had a small bounty of snakehead fish. It was quiet, 
until I heard a splash and saw her. A beautiful woman wearing a sari caked with mud. She sat with her woven basket by the water. Rahul was awakened and sniffed the air. Smiling, she waved me over to her. Whining, Rahul retreated closer to me. Nodding at her, I decided the quickest way to get to her side was through the lake. It was shallow enough to stand in, and I effortlessly carried my basket over my shoulders to impress her. Getting closer, I felt something slip.